Lord, today we know that you are a merciful God. There's none that has mercy as you. You're forgiving God. None are as kind to forgive our sins as we confess them. You're faithful. There's no other one who will make the promise that I'll never leave you and never turn my back on you. You are all-powerful. You created the world in which we inhabit. You marked our days before one came to pass. You're all-knowing. You're the God of hope. You're the God of miracles. That can cause the Red Sea to open. That can cause the blind to see. That can create money and wealth out of nothing. That can feed a man in the wilderness. There's none like you. Let the heart of each one of us be drawn to you this morning. Let our experience this morning be more than just informational, but let it transform our heart. Let our hearts long for you. As the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. They that hunger and thirst for righteousness might be filled. Might you give us that spiritual hunger today? Might you peel away the layers of our heart that are prideful, that are worldly, that are hurting, that are worrisome. Might you find within us, Lord, someone that longs and delights to do your will. Might you speak to this today from the Word of God. I pray that you would anoint my, my lips to speak and give us ears to hear the voice within the voice. And this is my prayer today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, well, give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you're looking good today. And open your Bibles this morning, two places, Acts chapter 28 and Colossians chapter 4. Acts 28 and Colossians chapter 4. Give me a moment to kind of paint a broader picture in my introduction today. I have been speaking to you the last several weeks, a series called Unshakable that my intent has been to help you find what I'm calling unshakable faith in a very uncertain world. How many know the headlines tomorrow could literally change everything around us? You could open the paper or turn on the news channel tomorrow and Israel could have bombed Iran. You could have opened the paper tomorrow, turn on the news, and a great earthquake could have hit the New Madrid fault or California, Los Angeles area. Devastation could have come. You could open the paper tomorrow and a dirty bomb could have been smuggled into our nation and martial law could be upon us just like that. I mean, you know, we live in a world that is filled with uncertainty. It's bigger than just stock markets being troubled. How many know God has an ability to shake the world until only that which cannot be shaken will remain? And that's what I'm speaking to you about in this series called Unshakable. And my hope is that you will be one of those people that no matter what goes on around me, I can have peace in the midst of the storm, peace and hope. We've been looking at different biblical characters each week, and we've been trying to see how they had this relationship with God. Several weeks ago, I began with the Apostle Paul, a man who penned two-thirds of the New Testament, a man who's responsible for literally reaching the world, around the world with the gospel of Christ, a man who had remarkable spiritual power, who had um, unparalleled spiritual revelation. And we learned several weeks ago the word dependence. He was a man that depended on God. He was a man that was void of spiritual pride and humility characterized his life. Hence, he walked in this great spiritual power, his, the presence of God, and accomplishment. But this morning, I want to look at a word called purpose. Can you say the word purpose? I'm going to be addressing this morning the why question. 
why, and, and I'm going to suggest to you that Paul is someone we should follow. The Bible says, or, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. That you and I should seek to be spiritually minded as Paul. We should seek to be spiritually influential. We can make a difference in this world. So hopefully he can be a mirror, a mentor, an example to follow. And we want to kind of look into his life this morning and see what it is that caused this man to have these great attributes. I'm going to kind of answer a global question. It's the big why. Why did Paul do the things that he do, did he did? And what's the application to your life and mine? This word purpose is very significant because you and I are not living in this very brief time on earth with no purpose. We are living, we are living on purpose. Now, I've entitled the morning, this message, Living on Purpose, and that simply means to live on purpose means to live with a goal. And your goal and my goal should be to do that which God has called us to do in the way that I live our life. And then one day I'll be rewarded by God at the end. But I want to introduce the message with a video clip this morning of my 10-year-old daughter. Now, she just got back, she and her mom, last night from a mission trip. Her first mission trip to, to anywhere, it was to Mexico. She went with them to the team to Chiapas. But this video is about little Rebecca, who's 10, is teaching a group of 3-year-olds. Now, this is more than a cute video, but this is a message that will speak to you about purpose. And uh, I'll be taking volunteers to help her at the end of this little clip. So take a peek at Rebecca and teaching three-year-olds on Sunday morning. We're learning about Joseph today. Jacob lived in a land called Canaan, and he had 12 sons. Twelve! And his favorite, very favorite son was Joseph. Jacob loved Joseph so much he made a beautiful and colorful robe. Joseph's brothers knew that Jesus, Joseph was their father's favorite, so they were mean to him. You all, let's make mad faces. Let's make mean faces. Now, how would you like to teach that class? 
How many of you like to volunteer to be her helper? Because she was very clear to say, I'm the teacher, Daddy. The adult is my helper. I don't see any hands out there. You could barely handle two minutes. Can you imagine 45 minutes? Now, let me say this to you. That is more than a cute video. That's a little girl that's fulfilling her purpose by establishing the kingdom of God in the hearts of three-year-olds. Now, let me say it again. This is the whole message this morning. That's more than a cute video. That's a little girl doing what you and I are called to do. Establish the kingdom of God in the hearts of other people. Now, her mother and I know that God has created her with purpose. Her mother and I know that we don't know all the details of it yet. You see, it started her ambition was to be the president of the country. And then at some point, she wanted to be the lady that collects money in the lunchroom. That's a bit of a shift. And the third, she decided that she wanted to be a teacher. All we know is we're encouraging her. And she'd go to, you know, three weekend services is a lot to listen to the same message. So they gave the kids an opportunity to serve the Lord. And she said, I want to teach three-year-olds. Now, here's the message this morning. You have a purpose just like Rebecca. And I want you to see your purpose is not just far away when you get, you know, a certain age, a certain degree. That may be the pinnacle of your life like Dr. Lacey is a county judge. But you have purpose each day of your life. You have purpose to establish God's kingdom. And as you live on purpose, you're living with a goal in mind. You're not living accidentally. You're not living just to whatever will be, will be. You're living to make a difference in the world for Christ. You're living to establish the kingdom of God. Now, let me give you two scriptures that, in my mind, kind of capture the overarching sense of this Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 28, verse 30. It's the last verse in the book of Acts, in this continuing story of the book of, the book of Acts, the life of the church. Now, he's in Rome. He's under house arrest for talking to the Jews about Jesus. Um, it says in verse 30, he lived there two whole years. Now, don't you think about this. This purpose, he is for two years doing this. It's a long time. He's welcoming everyone who came to him, which means he welcomed his friends. He welcomed his enemies. He welcomed the Jews who were responsible for getting him there and the Gentiles, who is every non-Jewish non person. He welcomed political people. What he was doing, here's what he did, verse 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is simply the rule of God in the hearts of men and over creation. The kingdom of God is the, was the message of Jesus. It is the rule of God being established on the earth. That's what I believe Dr. Lacey was seeking after in our prayers today. Not to build a church in the Bowie County Courthouse, but rather that he might be an instrument of establishing God's will here in Bowie County. I mean, no, that's a good thing. So whether you're in the White House, whether you're in the county uh, courthouse, whether you're in the schoolhouse, whether you're at the factory, whether you're in the church building, whether you're at a restaurant, whether you're in the Walmart, whether you're in your school, in your classroom, in a club in your school, in the band, on a football team, it's all a sphere of influence where we might establish the kingdom of God, where we might, through our vocal witness as well as our actions, give testimony to Christ. So he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, and he's teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, that is, the way to salvation, the teachings of Christ, but notice he does it with boldness. So here's the picture. He's there a long time. He's in a place he doesn't want to be, but he simply believes that God is with him, so he uses it as a platform to communicate the gospel to as many people as he can, and he does it unashamedly and unafraid, and this is his purpose that he's living out. 
Now, you and I have similar purpose. Now, there's another verse, Colossians 4, verse 3. Again, it is written to the church at Colossae while he's in prison. Now, how many know if you're somewhere you don't want to be, God still has a purpose for your life? You remember he's in the Philippian jail, the earthquake comes, guess what? People come to Christ because he's in jail there. So I want you to see this idea of purpose is not just some faraway ultimate accomplishment, but this idea of purpose is the life that you live each day. I think the way that you should start your day in the morning, somewhere between that alarm going off and you engaging the day, is you saying, Lord Jesus, here I am to serve you today. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in me and through me. Use me as a vessel. Use me as a vehicle of kingdom service for you. This applies to all of us today. Whether you run a business or you run a school or whatever you do, you have a place of influence. And it's that influence, just like Rebecca with three-year-olds, its purpose, establishing the kingdom in the hearts of people. Now, what I want you to see there in Colossians 4, he's praying, and he says, pray for us that God would open a door for our message. Once again, he is driven. He, he, he's living on purpose, and his purpose is to bring the gospel of Christ to as many people as he can. You pray for me that a door for the message so we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. And notice what it says, for which I'm in chains. So now he's in prison. He's in a difficult spot, but he still is praying for a door to be opened. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. Now, if you and I were in prison, what would we be requesting prayer for? You're exactly right. Get me out of this place. Come up with some bond money. Hawk whatever you've got, Mom. Get me out of this prison. But can you see that even here, Paul is not just looking for his self first. He's looking for what Christ would do through him. I want you to hear this today because Paul impacted this earth in a tremendous way. You can do the same thing. You can make a difference in your world. Rebecca's making a difference with those little three-year-olds. They're in there, and all they learned that morning was that shaky thing, God is good. God is good. And I'm telling you, when those little kids come in, and, and, I, and I get out on my knee to get a hug or to say hello to them, they don't ask me how I'm doing. They say, where's Becca? Because she's the one that's made a connection with them. So we're going to talk this morning about the Apostle Paul. And this is kind of a global message, not in terms of the world, but it's a big picture for your life. It's what am I, what am I living for? What am I doing with my life? You know, my friends, one day God will reward you for what you've done. God's grace for salvation is a free gift, but you must earn rewards in heaven. It is good works that gain the attention of God. One day our works will be judged. See, and this is not going to be a sad day, but you've got a chance, listen, to invest in the kingdom of God, invest in eternity that will last. Now, as we talk about Paul this morning, I want to look at what I think are three big overarching themes in his writings and that defined his life. Because if you're going to be like this man, you've got to understand what made him tick. And the three big things I see are, number one, he focused on what matters most, which was populating heaven. The second thing, he was willing to pay a price for the advancing the kingdom of God. And lastly, he was committed to finishing strong. And he was committed to pass the baton to the next generation. You friend, my friend, it's not how you start the Christian life. It's how you finish. And all of us are on a course of our race. I don't know where you are in your journey. If we're running the mile, I don't know if you're on the first lap. I don't know if you're on the second lap. 
I don't know if you're setting the pace or lagging behind. You may be on your last lap, and you may be in that final turn looking towards the finish line in life. But my friend, you and I are in a race. Earth is not our home. This is a temporary situation. And as you have given your life to God, God has purpose and design and plan for you. And I want to encourage you this morning to live on purpose and be inspired by the example of Paul. Now, let's begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm going to go quickly this morning as I just read through some scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 9, the first thing is Paul focused on what mattered most, populating heaven. Let's look at this, verse 19. Paul said, even though I'm a free man with no master, which simply means I can do whatever I want to do. And how many know that's just like us? Now, you may have a job that you have to be at to make a little money, but guess what? You get to decide if you stay there or leave. You get to decide how hard you work. You get to decide what you do on weekends. You get to decide what you do with your money, what you do when you're having fun. But notice what he said. I don't have a master, but I have become a slave to all people to bring many in other words, I have altered my life around people because I want to reach them and win them. Now, here's this sense of populating heaven. And then he gives us three examples. First of all, he said, when I was around Jewish people, I became like the Jewish people so I could win them. When I was around the Gentile, which is all the non-Jews in the world, when I was around them, though I didn't forsake the law, uh, the moral law and the principles of God, I, I, I lived like Gentile people so I could win them. And when I was around the weak, I became like they were, so I could win them. You see, what he's telling us, look at verse 22. I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. Now, there's two, there's two short verses that I want you to lay hold of this morning, and that's one of them. This has to do with purpose, trying to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. Now, why was he so urgent about this? If you passed by a house and people were in it, whether you knew them or not, and that house was on fire, you saw cars in front of it, you, my friend, would be moved to action because you knew the fire would take their life away. You knew they needed to get out of that house. Well, my friend, one day there is a fire of judgment that is awaiting this earth, and we should be just as deliberate as we follow the example of Paul. Now, let me ask you this question. As we shared, we had 27 people go on a mission trip to Chiapas. They all bought airline tickets, spent lots of money to go and minister. What do, the, what, what do all these things have in common? That mission trip they just went on, the Jesus Fest just a couple of weeks ago, God sent 2,000 people here, but it was not to trick-or-treat on October 31st. It was for four altar calls that we did in the middle of that experience, and scores of people made some response to Christ. What does that have in common with the $3,000 you gave last week that we sent to our sister church in Haiti? What does that have to do with the Block family? They do an inner city outreach here in Texarkana. Someone told me they got there at 1130 yesterday to this poorest neighborhood in town, and they didn't leave till 430, and now they're planning on doing something special down there at Christmas. What does that have to do with, uh, in common with Sidewalk Sunday School that we do every Thursday afternoon? What do all those things have in common? Yeah, Jesus, but they're all ways that we're trying to populate heaven as a church. See, you're not just here as an individual. This is not a movie theater where you can watch a show and go home. You're part of a family of believers here. And part of my, I can fulfill my purpose best in a local church. I can. You see, because my local church encourages me, it teaches me, it strengthens me, and collectively I join with other believers and unbelievers to reach this world. 
You see, we could add to that list. We could add to the list, we'll print five or 10,000 invitations this week because we're already out to invite people to church. We're digging another water well uh, in probably February in a village that has no running water in central Mexico. Uh, our powerhouse youth that meet every Wednesday night, not just to eat pizza and have fun, but those kids' lives are on fire for God. We've got ministry going on at Texarkana College campus, at Texas A&M University. We just started a Saturday night church service. This money that goes in the globe, it goes to buy Bibles. Your tithe that you invested just a few moments ago, all these things have in common is we as a church are populating heaven. Now, how many know we can make it hard to go to hell from Texarkana, USA? It should be hard to get to hell from Texarkana because the light of God is dispelling darkness. That's what we're about. You see, we as a church believe that we exist. The reason we're here is so as many people as we can, so we can populate heaven with them. We are driven by the belief, now listen, we're driven by the belief that only the human soul is eternal. That when you came into this world, you, that was your beginning, but you will never end. You will die on this earth but you will go on beyond this life, the Bible says. You'll either go and spend eternity in heaven with God or you will be in a place of torment away from Him and only the human soul is eternal. Not the HD TV you'll get for Christmas. Not the big turkey mount that's going to be on the wall after you go with me and take me somewhere. N not the newest clothing so you're ahead of the curve on everybody. Not your car. Not your brand new house that was perfect until you realized something that just wasn't and now you want another one. That brand new car that smelled new and now it smells like ketchup. And you left the window open and the cat left a deposit. And now the only hope is to get a new one unless, unless... All that stuff is temporary, and all those are just creature comforts. What matters is the human soul. Now, that's what drove the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 24. Don't you realize that it's like a race everyone is running, but only one person gets the prize, run to win. Now, he's just told us this most important thing. Everything I do is to find common ground to win people, and I need to approach this like I'm running a race. Now, we're not competing against one another. We're competing with ourselves to win the race that God has put before us. When I think of baseball, I think of World Series, soccer, World Cup, football, Super Bowl. But guess what? All these things, listen to what he says, athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an... Now, how many people know who just won the World Series a couple weeks ago? Let me see your hand. Hold them up. More in the first service. It looks like, well, let's say, let's say it's maybe... Three dozen people here. How many know who won the World Series last year? Real high, let me see your hand. We dwindled to about maybe a dozen. How many know who won the World Series in the year 2000, ten, only 10 years ago? Who? Who? The Yankees. How about 20 years ago? You're on the spot, buddy. Here's the point. They were selling... Ads, that was the biggest thing going on that week. Everybody was watching. Many people were watching across America. Millions of dollars were being made, but nobody even remembers what happened 20 short years ago. See, all that will fade away, but Christ will last, 
and the eternal human soul is lasting. Now, here's what he warned us in verse 27. Discipline your body. I discipline my body like an athlete. I train it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after I've preached to others, I myself might be Now, here's what I want to tell you. You can miss God's best for your life. If you cease to be a spirit-led person, and let me give you a little clue here. You will find that every service that I lead, at some point in it, I encourage you to yield your life to God. I might say, as you lift your hands, surrender afresh to God. Offer your lives to Christ today. I surrender all. Let your kingdom come. Let your... Now, why is that? It's because I want to help you make sure Christ is in the driver's seat. Because if your flesh is in the driver's seat, you may do something stupid to disqualify yourself. You may end up in a ditch and your Christian testimony goes down. Let's say after church, you and I both go to the same restaurant. We don't know it. And I'm sitting at the bar having a beer with someone that's other than my wife, my sister. Not. Would you come back next Sunday? No. Would you have the same respect for me? No. Why is that? It's because my moral platform has disqualified me. Now, you can recover, but it'll always be with, like David, except for the sin of Bathsheba. See? So let me encourage you. Be careful. Discipline yourself. Stay accountable. That's why it's so important to stay connected with other believers. When you get out on your own, that's when you're likely to do something stupid. You know, people are only accountable as long as they're accountable. And it's a willful choice because you can hide it from anybody. I'm meddling now. But that was his number one purpose. Let me jump ahead real quickly. His focus in life, he was living on purpose. Now, let me give you another one quickly. 2 Timothy 1 verse 8. He was willing to pay a price to advance the kingdom of God. Now, listen to this one. He's speaking to his son, Timothy. Again, he's in prison. And he says, never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Think about this now. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to bow your head and pray over your meal. Even if you're at deer camp and they're passing around whatever magazine. Is, don't be afraid if you're at work. Don't be afraid if you're at school to stand for Christ. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of me either, even though I am in prison. Now, there's a price to pay. The Bible tells us in the book of Philippians, it tells us it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to what? So what am I saying? It, now listen to this this morning. Because American Christianity has largely been sanitized to this message. American Christianity is, kind of paints this picture that being a Christian is fun and easy. And if you just pray a little bit, life gets better. And if you just give a little bit, you get more. And it, it just becomes so shallow and self-centered. I want to tell you this. It is difficult sometimes to be a Christian. And sometimes it is not fun. And sometimes if you stand for Christ, it will cost you something. During the, 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 when they were debating prior to signing the thousand-page-plus health care bill that nobody read, and we weren't going to know what was in it until it was passed, as it was being discussed across America last year, the Catholic hospitals, and I understand there's over 600 in America, the bishops stood together and they said, if you force us, federal government, to offer abortions in our hospitals, we will close the doors before we do perform abortions. Now, why is that? It's because men are created in the image of God. And the Bible says, thou shalt not murder. 
And that's not a message of hate, nor is that a message to take the rights of a woman. It is to protect the rights of the unborn, to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. It is to respond to the pain and the heartache that's left behind. But they have the guts to stand up and say, if it's a price to pay, listen, we'll pay it. So as a Christian, you may have to make stands in life. You know it as a professional counselor when they're trying to force you to speak one way on the issue of same-sex marriage and homosexuality. You know what that means if the right person comes into your office and you just make a referral. There's been lawsuits filed to take licenses away from people in some states in America. See, we live in a... Now, now the next question in our health care debate of which the secretary, HHS person, gets to decide over 1,000 different questions... And one of those questions will be, will the morning after pill, RU486, will it be available as free birth control to anybody anytime? So we live in a world today that if you stand for Christ, if you're a pharmacist and say, I'm not going to distribute that, what I don't believe is medication, to heal, I believe it's to terminate life. If you do that, it could cost you your job. Because there are those that said, we'll only want pharmacists that do what we tell them to do. So this is where real Christianity gets lived out. Not always in the easy and fun times. Paul is in jail not for doing something wrong, but for doing something right. And here's what I want to tell you. This motivated this man's life because if he would have stopped when life got difficult, he would have missed the opportunity to change the world. So let me tell you this. In your world, my friend, don't miss the opportunity just because it's difficult or just because it's hard. Give the Lord a good hand this morning. Let me close with this, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here's the third thing. And Paul finished strong. That is, it was not just how you start the Christian life, it's how you finish. And he passed the baton to the next generation. 2 Timothy 4 verse 1. Now we began in Acts 28. It's the first time Paul was in jail. It was in a rented house. But now he finds himself in a Roman dungeon. These are his last words. Now what would your last words be? If you have this privilege to be able to tell your loved ones goodbye or to leave something with them, imagine you're in the room and you're talking and it's heart to heart. You're not going to say, who won the ball game last night? You're not going to be talking about who's going to be the new head coach of Dallas next year. You're talking about that which matters the most. And here's what this great example of our faith said. He said to verse 1, to his son in the faith, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, it doesn't get any stronger than that, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up. See, he's still in charge right now, but one day he's coming back to this planet. There'll be a new heaven. There'll be a new... One day the king is coming on a great white horse, and he's not coming as a baby in a manger. He's coming as king of kings and lord of lords, and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Christ Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Paul's saying that's going to happen. And how many know that's a big deal? That's bigger than whether or not you have an iPhone or whether you have an iPhone 3 or an iPhone 4. That is bigger than whether you have last year's shoes on your feet or this year's. Our team went to Mexico and complained. It was 40 degrees at night. We weren't dressed for it. And Linnell and I thought, imagine those people that live in that every day of their life. See? He will someday judge the living and dead. And here's what he told him. 
Preach the Word of God. Now, here's what you think. Well, that's you behind that little thing. No. This word preach means communicate. And you are communicating the Word of God, if you so choose to, every day of your life. Rebecca, with toilet paper, you know, deal, and rocks wrapped together, was communicating, God is good. She was preaching the Word of God. Dr. Lacey will be preaching the Word of God, and he may not use a Bible or God's name when he makes decisions as the county judge. He's not trying to go and build a church there, but he's going to endeavor to live out the principles of God. Come on, the principles that made America great. It becomes a platform for expanding the kingdom of God. He's not going to go there to convert souls. He's going to go there as God's agent to establish justice. Are you with me today? You see, everywhere you go, everything you do is a platform for your witness. So preach the word of God. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord, but you work at telling others the good news and you fully carry out the ministry God has given you. It's like he took this baton in his hand and say, I'm leaving, you take it. And can I tell you, your job is not done until you pass that baton to somebody else. But he was making sure that the gospel was going to go forwards even when his life was over. But he didn't stop there. And this is how, this is the, if I can say, the, his epitaph for his life. Verse 6, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. He's on the fourth lap of the mile run. He's already made the turn. He looks in front of him and he sees the finish line. I have fought. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. What is the race? It's your life. It's the remaining days you have on this earth. Be they days, hours, months, years, or decades. You don't know. But he said, I fought good as a Christian. I finished it. I've remained what? I didn't disqualify myself. I'm not perfect, but I stayed faithful. And now the prize awaits me. Friends, this is just a warm-up for eternity. What we're doing right now is all pre-game stuff. The game starts when you get to heaven. Listen. The prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. He will not give out rewards for free. You've got to earn your rewards. And I promise you, when you get to heaven, nothing else will matter. Nothing else will matter. The prize is not just for me, but it's for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Now raise both hands and say, that's me. That's me. Every time I receive communion, what's the last thing we say with cup in hand? Until he comes. From Corinthians. He is coming again. He's coming again, I said. You may be here. He's going to come back. The dead in Christ will rise, and then we which are alive will be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord in the air, and we'll be with him forever. How would you like to be sitting at the bar with somebody else's spouse when he comes? Boy, you better hope once saved, always saved is true. I'm just saying. Finish your race. And when you fall down, get up. And don't live it alone. 
Don't try to do this thing by yourself. You're, you're setting yourself up as a target. You will most effectively fulfill your purpose in the context of a body of believers, a local church. Finish your race strong. I wish I could just go to each one of you. First, shake you a little bit and say, don't mess up and finish your race and you stay faithful because one day Jesus is going to look at you and you want to hear him say, well done, good, good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy of the Lord. I want to shake you and then I want to hug you because we're sharing this pathway together. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. I want to pray with you now. Let, let, let's, let's pray. I want you to bow your head just a moment and I want to ask you this simple question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Now that, that phrase itself may be a, an unusual phrase for you, but see, God has a way of speaking to us. It's not weird. It's not mystical. It's not spooky. It is His Spirit speaking some to that real you on the inside. And I've learned over time that it's different than anyone else's voice. I know the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's different from my conscience as a barometer. It's my creator. What is he saying to you this morning? Are you living on purpose? Are you living quite haphazardly? Are you living, eh, whatever happens, happens. Say, sirrah, sirrah. No. Living on purpose. Populating heaven. Reaching three-year-olds for Christ because God is good. Giving my life for my purpose. Establishing the kingdom of God in the hearts of men and women. What is he saying? Now, would you say yes? Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to say, I've been on the sidelines. I'm like, I'm like a spectator at a ball game. I need to get down on the field of the Christian life. Maybe you have lacked boldness and you've been ashamed. Be ashamed no longer, friend. Whatever he's saying to you, would you do it? Do you know in your heart what God is calling you to do? What opportunity is before you today? Don't just wait for something big to be dropped in your lap. When they say there's a class of three-year-olds, say, I'll do it. I want you to join with me today as we renew our commitment to populate heaven, to live on purpose, to reach as many people as we can before it's too late. Could we share common resolve and ask God to help us not quit when the going gets tough? Not quit if we face some difficulty. Help us, God, to do that. And lastly, let us make sure that we have passed the baton to someone else, that we don't drop it to the ground. And perhaps most importantly, may we finish strong. May we give ourselves fully to what God will one day hold us into account. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, I, I, I want to speak to another group of people right now. I, I want to speak to a group of people that may be here that don't even know if you died today, if you go to heaven or hell. See, here's one thing I know and you know, one day we're all going to die. See, this idea of uh, reincarnation, the Bible says, a lie. The idea of ceasing to exist, of this crazy, becoming one with, you know, the consciousness and all... A lie wants to die and then the judgment the problem is when we stand before God on judgment day our sins will cause us to be judged and face an eternity without God and God doesn't want that and I don't want that for you see the problem is we've all done wrong the Bible calls it sin 
you, you won't hear it in politically correct, 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 politically correct language, but the Bible's very clear. When you break the commands of God, you have sinned. Because there is a God, and one day he'll, and the problem is all of us have sinned. The God that you look at in the mirror every day, sinned. The person wearing your shoes today has sinned. It only takes one sin to make a sinner, and God does not weigh, did you do more good than bad in life? One sin blows it for you. But here's the great, great news. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. On judgment day, Jesus would like to be your lawyer that represents you. He'd like for you to just keep your mouth shut and stand behind him. And when they call your name and your docket number, John Miller and Social Security and birthday and all that, and you kind of look behind him and said, me. Jesus said, no, me. You go on in. Me, covered, covered. The blood of Christ covers his sins. You say, I'll do it on that day. No, no. The Bible says, now is the day of salvation. I did this 30 years. Somebody told me what I'm telling you in essence today is that you've got a problem with sin and God wants to fix that problem. But He wants more than just you to say a quick prayer and be about your business. That's fire insurance and it's a deceptive lie. He wants you to turn to follow Him. He wants you to be willing to walk away from the ownership of your life and entrust your life to Christ. And if you're willing to do that today, if you're willing to say, Jesus, I want to commit my life to you. I want you to save me. Wash my sins away and give me a brand new start. He will change you, my friend. He will put you on the right track, and you will begin to fulfill the purpose for which you were created. Now, we would like to, I'd like to, we're going to pray for you right now. I want you to just bow your heads, and I'm going to ask every Christian in this place, if you're 100% certain that you're going to heaven, that you're walking with Christ, I want you to pray for those people that are not and if you're here today and you say, Pastor, you're talking, it's just like God is speaking right now to me through you. And I know I need to get right with God. I need to give my life to Christ, and I want to do it right now. If that's you this morning and you want our prayer, whether it's the first time you've ever prayed this or you've gotten away from God, and today is the day you want to come back, we want to pray for you today. If that's you, just lift your hand real high. Do it quickly this morning. I want to get right with God. God bless you, dear. I see your hand. Others this morning. Pray for me. Pray for me. I want to get right with God. I want to make sure. I want to make sure that if I die today, that I'll go to be with Him. Praise the Lord. God bless you. I see your hand. Look at me now. G give her a big hand in the back. Everybody look at me. God bless you, dear. God bless you. Here's how we're going to close our service. In just a second, I'm going to have everyone stand. We're going to sing a little worship chorus through a time or two, and I'd ask you to stay for just a moment. Sing with us. Worship with us. But our prayer team is going to come and gather around the altar. We've got men and women that would like to pray for you this morning. And I want to ask you to come that made that step to Christ. Come and make it public and let someone pray with you and give you some things that will help you. But I want to open this prayer time to anyone here with any needs you have. I don't know what struggles you have in your life. I don't know what you're going to face when you go back out in your world. But it's still going to be there. Going to church didn't make your problem go away. But if you join with the faith of another person, you can have the assurance that God is going to be helping me in the midst of that. We'd like to pray for you today. You might like to be filled with God's Spirit. I don't know what it is. It could be something in the message that God spoke to you. But our prayer team will pray with you as long as it takes to help you because I know you're here today. Let's go ahead and sing right now. Go ahead and begin to sing. I want you to just stand with me this morning. We're going to begin to sing and worship. Our prayer team is coming now across to the altar. And if you needed prayer, you just come for prayer right now. Dear you that lifted your hand for salvation, come on up and let us pray for you now. Let us forgive her a big hand as she's coming right now. God bless you. Others that are needing prayer, you come this morning. Take just a minute before you go back in the world and let us pray for you today. 
you come and let somebody stand with you today? They'll believe God with you that God is going to help your life. Come on, church, let's begin to sing. And you come for prayer. If you're thinking about it, you, you come on up.